This is Exponent Philanthropy's catalytic podcast, Conversations with Leaders at Small Foundations. Meet some of the most creative, resourceful, and risk-taking foundation people in the country. What would you think and feel if you learned that the labor of enslaved people contributed to the wealth that formed your foundation? What would you do? Dan Ely, board member and former board chair of the 1772 Foundation, shares the actions that board and staff took immediately upon learning this history. Well, it goes back to really October of 2019 um, because we were at a board meeting at Liberty Hall, which is the ancestral home of the Kane family, our benefactor. And at that meeting, we learned that the people at the Liberty Hall Foundation had discovered some documentation that indicated that there had been enslaved people uh, working for John Kane, the original John Kane, who came from Beaufort, South Carolina, and that they showed that they had enslaved people in New Jersey and South Carolina and in Georgia. And uh, we said, wow, that means that forebears of our benefactor um, made some of his wealth because of having enslaved people in in his employment. And we thought this is something that we should be completely upfront about. Uh, And um, we decided at that point to form a very ad hoc committee of the 1772 board. We We asked two of our trustees to discuss further with the Liberty Hall people um, about what they have discovered. And uh, based on that, we decided that we should, first first off, we should write an apology and publish the apology, as well as what our intent was to what we would do to continue our investigation further with the help of a professor at the university, Kane University, to explore as much as we could about the people that were enslaved by the Kane and Livingston families. So that's kind of how this part of our journey started. Then we decided that we were going to do something and do something fairly quickly. So the board had a meeting in uh, Beaufort, South Carolina, and at that board meeting in 2020, we decided that there were going to be four or five steps that we were going to take once we have now discovered that the fact that we had enslaved people working for the Kane family and the Livingston family. 
And those steps were as follows, that we would act very, very quickly and not sit on this. So we published that apology statement. We were going to do some more continued research, working with Dr. Nicholson, who's the professor at Kane University, uh, <clears throat> and students that were also working on this project to help her with her research into public programs um, to find and compile a list of names and dates uh, of the people that were enslaved uh, and worked on at various places that were owned by the Kane family. And third, we were not going to compromise our existing granting programs, but that the grants we were going to make in this particular instance were going to be above and beyond our normal grant payout. And fourth, that this was going to be a long-term commitment for the foundation. Uh, this was going to become a permanent part of our granting. And, it, and fifth, that wherever possible, we would cede the control over the funds to local community leaders who will direct the funds to where it will do the most good. And finally, we were going to commit ourselves to further education and social and racial justice. And we put forth a number of, of grants of very sizable proportions, the largest one being a million dollars, uh, which we made to the Coastal Community Foundation in Charleston and Beaufort. Uh, but this has become a permanent part of our granting program now. But as I say, it's above and beyond what our normal grants programs have been. We weren't going to sacrifice those to do this. We were going to spend more. We had no reluctance on behalf of any board member. We had complete and 100% support that we should continue to do this work and do it as diligently as possible. And the professor that we work with is Dr. Catherine Nicholson, who's a history professor at Kane University in Elizabeth, New Jersey. And she is doing research both physically and on the computer in both New Jersey as well as in the Beaufort, South Carolina area uh, to discover as much as she can on the enslaved people that were with the Kane family. And uh, she's come up with, I think, almost 100. We know, we know the names of almost 100 of the enslaved, um, uh, but there are some more that she's continuing to work to do that. And we're making grants to Kane University to fund some of her research into this. We have decided to put a lot of emphasis in our grant making in this area, in the physical geographic area of the South, in the Beaufort, in, in the Beaufort, South Carolina area where John Kane came from and where he had large land holdings on which enslaved people were. So to give you a couple of examples, we made a, a, a a grant of 125000 to the Center for Heirs Properties Preservation in Charleston. We made a million-dollar uh, grant, which is the largest we've ever made, uh, to support the Coastal Community Foundation Reverend 
Pinckney Scholars Program, um, we've made sizable grants of about $500,000 to the Trust for Public Lands um, to help fund their Black History and Culture Initiative. And we've made about $220,000 worth of grants so far to the Penn Center, uh, which is on St. Helena Island in South Carolina. And as I say, we continue to make grants to Kane University for ongoing research. So this is what we're doing um, to, to try to further the efforts in uncovering some more details about the people that, that were enslaved by the Kane and Livingston family. But we want to do it in the area where most of these people lived and came from. And that's why we're, we're centering our activity in the Buford, South Carolina area by supporting some of these organizations uh, that are trying to enlighten people on African-American history. And it can be anything from the culture centers of international, the Alabama African-American Civil Rights Heritage, the Preservation North Carolina Organization, Tuskegee University, the Slave Dwelling Project, I mean, there are a number of these organizations that are working hard to um, to try to increase the knowledge for people about uh, slavery and their implications that came from that. And uh, that's that that's the best advertising that we can do. I mean, we we have published this in our we published the apology and. If you go to any one of our annual reports on our website, you can see a complete list of all of the grants that we have made in this area by amount and by 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 name. So I, I, I think that is the that as well as talking to people like you and others that have come and asked us about what we're doing in this area is a way of kind of putting forth you know, our efforts in this. And I think the, the biggest takeaway that I that I on the board feel is that once we discovered this information, we did not wait. We acted immediately. And we have put it out there, which mm -hmm. we think is really important. And we're encouraging any other organizations to do likewise. We do at this point expect to the board's expectation is that we will uh, manage the foundation in perpetuity <clears throat> because we do that for one simple reason. We think that as a foundation, we can be influential in getting others to do good work, regardless of what field they're in. We're small in numbers, both trustees and in principle, but we think we we perform beyond the size. And if we can continue to influence change for the good among philanthropic organizations, we will continue to do that. If we feel that that's not the case, then the board might well consider to, you know, change its operation and pay down over a series of years, in other words, pay out the endowment. But right now, 
we're, we're, we're not doing that. It's always easy to make an excuse uh, mm-hmm. about why. Well, we need more information for this. We need more information for that. And that never, that never entered our heads. I mean, it was more, wow, we just learned this information. And what are we going to do about it? Yeah. And that's why we asked two of our board members to start this ad hoc committee. And I tell you, they came back in two months, said, here, we should think A, B, C, D, and E. And the board said, let's go. That would be my advice to anybody else. If you get information such as we got, get on it and get cracking and do what you need to do. Uh, And actions speak louder than words. So we put the words out first, and now we're following it up right away with actions. And I don't know what else you can do. I mean, we do know some organizations that are continuing to research and research and research. but you can research yourself to death. Uh, you know, we're doing research because we're just expanding our knowledge about the enslaved persons that were involved with the Kane and Livingston family. But we're not we're not sitting around kind of wondering what you know what what. There's no manual. There's no manual that'll tell you what to do. So we we had to make it up as we go along, um, and. Uh, that's what my advice would be to anybody else. If you if you have information like this, you should act on it as quickly as possible and, and in the best way possible. Thanks to Dan Ely for joining us. To learn more about Dan and the work of the 1772 Foundation, visit the Catalytic Podcast website. Look for new catalytic podcasts each month. Meet more creative funders. Benji Roo does the audio engineering and mixing. Our website is by Kwok Lee. Our music is by O Future. The Catalytic Podcast is made possible by grants from two exponent members, the 1772 Foundation and the Blackstone Ranch Institute. I'm your producer and host, Andy Carroll. Thanks for listening. Join us next time.